0: Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at SalemAlliance.org. Today's talk is given by Ashley Dalen. Good morning, Salem Alliance Church. Good morning, live stream. My name is Ashley Dalen, and it is my honor to be with you this morning. I am your pastor of neighborhoods, and I get asked often. What does a pastor of neighborhoods do? So let me tell you a little bit about what I do. I get to oversee all of our neighborhood ministries here at Salem Alliance, which I'll talk about a little bit later. And then I also get to empower our church to demonstrate and declare the gospel in our neighborhoods. And so that's a little bit of what I get to do as your neighborhood's pastor, and you're joining us on week two of our series called Reach. And Reach is where we look at God's heart for both the nations and the neighborhoods. And I'm sure you can imagine, based off my job title, what I want to talk to you about today, the neighborhoods. (laughs) And so I thought to get us going, I would throw out some quiz questions to see how well you know the city of Salem. Now, before we get to our questions, I want to give you my works cited page, okay? All my data from today comes from the U.S. Census Bureau of 2020, take note of the year, also comes from the Pew Research Center and the Salem-Kaiser School District. Okay, here we go. Question number one is this, what is the population of Salem, Oregon according to 2020. Raise your hand if you think it's one, 154,637. Two, if you think it's 175,535. Or three, 652,503. Raise them up high, keep them up. I wanna see what we got in the room. Livestream, you may also look around your room. Okay, you guys are a smart crew, all right. You are correct, or a lot of you are. The answer is two. 175,535 people. According to 2020, we are higher now. 154,000 is where we were at at the 2010 census. So that can kind of give you some perspective of how we've grown in those 10 years. And 652,000 is the population of Portland in 2020. So that's where those numbers come from. Next question. What is the median age in Salem, Oregon? The median age. Is it 1, 25.5, 2, 35.9, or 3, 45.2? Lift them up. You can, you can ask your neighbor. You can feel courageous, confident, put it in the air. Okay. I like what I am seeing. The answer is two. 35.9. I am very proud to stand here before you today as the median age of Salem, Oregon. I am your physical embodiment today. There you go. In case you wondered what 35.9 looks like, here's one. Okay. The next question is true or false. True or false? The largest ethnicity represented in the Salem Kaiser School District is Hispanic. One, if you think that's true. Two, if you think that's false. Hmm. Lots of ideas. The answer is true. 44% of the Salem-Kaiser School District is Hispanic, which is amazing. If you didn't know, too, the Salem-Kaiser School District is the second largest school district in the state. So there's another fun fact. All right, our last question is this. It's another true or false. True or false, there are 66 different languages spoken in the Salem-Kaiser School District. One, if you think it is true. Two, if you think it is false. False we're waffling. All right. The answer is false. There are actually 88 different languages spoken in the Salem Kaiser School District. Isn't that incredible? Blew my mind. Blew my mind. But I love big numbers. I like things that are a little bit more graspable. So I would like to shrink our city of Salem down to a village of 100. And I would like to share with you some things that would be true of our village of 100. Here's the first thing. 21 of the 100 people in our village, a language other than English would be what is spoken at home. Fifteen people in our village would be experiencing poverty. Seven people would not have health insurance. Twenty-nine would have a bachelor's degree or higher. Fifty-five would own their home. One would be a deaf ASL user. Eleven would be born from somewhere outside the United States. Fifteen would be living with a disability and seven would-be veterans. This family is a snapshot of our city. But if you're anything like me, what turns Salem from being the capital to my community is the people and the faces in my neighborhood. It's Jim, my neighbor, who we wave at every morning as he feeds the ducks in his front lawn. It's Remy and Shiloh and Hazel, our neighbor kiddos who live next door to us. It's Marissa, who makes my coffee at Broadway Coffee House. It's Patrick, our mailman, who has the best beard you've ever seen. It's Marty, who lives down the street and lives in Windermere Rehab Center. Those are my faces that make Salem my home. And my question to you is, what are the faces in your neighborhood that make Salem home to you? When Jesus was walking around, he had many people in his relational network. But if you ask me, I think that Jesus had a weird propensity for collecting guys named James. We had James, the son of Zebedee. We get James, Alpheus, and we get James, who's known as the brother of Jesus. And my guess is there's probably also some other James sneaking about, But today, I want to focus on one James, and it's James, the brother of Jesus. And I imagine that James, being the brother of Jesus or a close relative, would have been around for some of the good times. I'm imagining it was pretty fun to be connected to the guy who can change water into wine. I imagine it wasn't very fun to be connected to the guy who everybody wanted to murder. But we are going to be in Acts 1 today. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, flip to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. And in Acts 1, Jesus has risen from the grave. And he is now talking to his disciples and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And I imagine that James, the brother of Jesus, is also there listening to the things that Jesus is saying. And so we are going to jump into Acts chapter 1 And we're going to join the disciples on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem to see what Jesus has to say to us, his disciples. So we're in chapter 1, verse 3 is where we are going to start. It says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? I want to pause there. I want to read verse 6 again. The disciples say, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? I envision James, the brother of Jesus, saying, Jesus, you've risen from the grave, which is awesome. That's going to win us some big PowerPoints here when we're trying to establish your kingdom. You've been talking to us about your kingdom, but we're ready for you to establish your kingdom and make everything right. Me and all the other Jameses, we are ready for you to do what you have been talking about. And I don't know if you're like me, but I often walk and bike and drive through Salem, and sometimes I see people, situations, overhear conversations that just break my heart. Or frustrate me. And I have this conversation with God where I'm like, God, when are you going to come and make things right? When are you in your goodness and your power going to make Salem a city at peace? And Jesus responds to my question and James's question with these words. Look with me at verse 7. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. Jesus flips it on James, and he says, what about this, James? I will put my spirit in you so that you are fully empowered with my presence, and you will go and be my witness. And not just that, you will be a light to which I will be the fuel. You will lead them to my healing. You will bind the brokenhearted in my name. You will pray to me and sick will be healed. You will counsel and addictions will flee in my presence. You will reveal to those who think they are self-sufficient that they are fragile and I am sufficient. You will show others my living water. You are my kingdom plan. I am dwelling within you to send you as you depend on on me. Jesus was one man, but when he empowers one church, look around. We are more than one. We are more than 12. And as Rob reminded us last week, we are more than Salem Alliance Church. We are part of a global family. You see, Jesus is brilliant because he understands that if his people walk as empowered witnesses, then the might of such a movement would be so great that he tells Peter the gates of hell can't keep it out. God uses the movement of people for his purposes. And that is going to be the big idea that we're going to talk about from all different angles for the next three weeks. God uses the movement of people for his purposes. So James heard what Jesus said and went, okay, okay, okay. And he went with the other disciples to the upper room and he waited and the Holy Spirit came and filled James, and the Holy Spirit empowered James to go and bring the good news of Jesus. And where does James go? My friends, James goes across the street and he stays in Jerusalem. James stays to be a witness in the neighborhood. If you are in this room today, live stream, I can't 100% say this for you, but whatever room you're in, if you are in this room today, then God has called you, and I do not use that word lightly, God has called you to be a witness in your Jerusalem, wherever you are. There are approximately 58,776 people, actually, sorry, adults, in Salem, Oregon who do not know Jesus. To put that in perspective, that's every seat in Autzen Stadium filled, plus 5,000 people waiting outside to get in. 58,776. Eugene Peterson paraphrases John 1, 14, and he says this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. First, Jesus moved towards us, and then he calls us to move towards those that he has already placed around us. You see, it was always God's plan to bless the world through his people. God blesses Abraham to be a blessing. God blesses the 12 tribes of Israel to be a blessing. But man, they kept getting stuck on themselves. They kept being distracted by their needs and their wants and their status as God's chosen people. And they kept missing the mission that they weren't just blessed to be blessed, but they were blessed to be a blessing. And so Jesus comes and he's the ultimate blessing. And Jesus prays and he picks 12 disciples. And scholars often say that the 12 disciples were to replace the 12 tribes who missed it. And he blesses the 12 disciples and he commissions them to go into the world and bless the world. God has been in the business of blessing the world through his people, the neighborhoods, and the nations from the beginning. And God has blessed you to be a blessing. God uses the movement of people for his purposes. This man did a PhD dissertation on this idea of blessers versus converters, And he cites this research that I found fascinating. There was a team of two people, two groups of people, who went to Thailand for a two-year missions experience. They both had the same mission. The mission was tell people about Jesus, that they might come to know him. However, they had totally different methodology. The blessers went with the method that we are going to bless whoever God brings our way. And the converters went with the methodology that we are going to just tell people about Jesus. That's what we're going to do. After two years, the research team went to go look at the two communities that these two groups had been in. And when they went to the community that the blessers had been in, they looked around and they recognized that the community had drastically been elevated. There had been so much good that had happened in the community. The community looked radically different. And the social capital between the, the group that had gone and the community was super high. And when they went and looked at the community that the converters went to, they didn't see a huge difference in the community at large from their presence. And when they asked the ultimate question, which was, well, how many people made a decision to follow Christ? They asked the blessers, and the blessers said, we had 48 people make decisions to follow Jesus. Great. And when they asked the converters, how many people did you guys see in your community accept Christ? They said, we saw one. And this research led me to ask the following questions. If I were to leave my neighborhood, would anyone miss me? Is my neighborhood better because I live there? Is my workplace, school, sports team better because I go there? Am I bringing blessing? And blessing is the motivation for all of our neighborhood ministries. Blessing is the motivation for why we do Furniture Bank, for why we go and bless people whose apartments are empty with beds and couches and tables, and the story you heard last week that Rob shared of a family that was reunified through furniture. Blessing is the motivation for our school partnerships, blessing those who are overworked and overlooked with appreciation and support. And blessing is our motivation for roars, our wood ministry. Blessing those who have cold homes with warmth and with comfort. But here's what's really cool about blessing. When we bless people, we bless every part of the person. I received this thank you note from a lady who received some wood from roars. And I want you to catch the words she's using in this thank you note. She says, thank you so much for the healing, mental stability, warmth, encouragement, and hope your card and wood have provided me. I have cancer and have to get infusions at OHSU every 28 days. Your ministry is a life-saving ministry, and your generosity, in my case, is a miracle to me. You guys, it's just wood. Like, that's all it is. And yet she's using words like mental stability and encouragement because it's not just wood. It's wood that's blessed from the Father and brought with the motivation of blessing and it ministers to every part of the person. A fun fact about our ROARS team, they just wrapped up their delivery season, and ROARS delivered 190,000 pounds of wood this season. Isn't that incredible? So cool. That's the equivalent of 14 and a half African elephants, in case you're curious. <laughs> that just puts it in perspective for you. And blessing is our motivation for Feed And Blessing people who have empty bellies or tight bank accounts with food. I have to share one more story. There was a lady who came through our distribution line in February. And she came to our intake person and said, I'm going to be honest, I have so much guilt and shame about even being here. And our intake person said, Why? We're so glad you're here. And she said, because there was a season when I was unsheltered, and I came in the front doors of Salem Alliance Church, and I saw your donation bin, and I reached in, and I stole a jar of peanut butter from you. And I feel like I shouldn't even be here getting more food from you. And our intake person, filled and empowered with Holy Spirit, looked at her and said, I release you of all of that guilt and shame. That jar of peanut butter was for you. And guess what? I am joyously going to give you another box of food today that has another jar of peanut butter that is for you. When we bless people, we minister to people at every level of the person. And I know that many of you in this room are bringing blessing to our church, and to our city through so many amazing organizations in this city. This city cares about the community, and I know that you guys are involved in that, and I just want to say thank you. And I also want to say that as your neighborhood's pastor, please email me your stories of how you are blessing our community so that we can celebrate that together, because I want to celebrate with you where blessing is happening in our Jerusalem. There is this book called blessed. You'll see it on the screen and this is the tagline bless five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world and I, If I saw this in a bookstore, I would never buy it <laughs> That is the like most gimmicky pyramid schemey sounding thing um, but this book a, I encourage you to buy, to buy it. It's a short read. But this book lays out such a beautiful methodology on how to love and bless our neighbors in a way that's simple, genuine, and my favorite part, unawkward. <laughs> and it lays out these prompts for how we can be a blessing. It starts with B, begin with prayer and fasting. We need Jesus to direct open hearts, give courage and guide us, right? And so we start with prayer and fasting and we ask this question, God, how do you want me to bless the people and the places you'll send me today? The next thing we get to do is listen. Don't talk, but listen to people's joys and struggles in the places that God sends you. Then we eat. You can't check this off. It's not quick. It takes time to have a meal with someone or coffee, but you build relationship. And then, and only then, do we serve. Because guess what? If we listen well and we eat with people, then we actually know how they need to be served. And so then we get the honor and the privilege of serving. And then, thank goodness, we finally get to talk (laughs) and we share our story. And we share his story when the time is right. The blessed practice is an equipping tool that effectively moves us towards our Jerusalem. And this is what our brother James did. While the other apostles were going to tropical islands like Cyprus or cities like Rome, James stayed in Jerusalem. And it's known that James became the first bishop of the church in Jerusalem. And that he got the nickname James the Just. And this is what a first century historian says about our brother James. He was known for being found in the temple, kneeling and praying, begging forgiveness for the people as well as adoring God. He was known for having knees callous like a camel's on account of his praying for the city and people so often. Family, can I invite us to first move towards praying for our neighbors, our neighborhood, and for our city? May we be known as the church with callous camel knees. Can I get an amen? In the lobby, there is a printout of a handout that you'll see on the screen. And this is my challenge to you. I challenge you to grab that printout and ask Holy Spirit to bring to mind the people that he has already placed around you that you can begin praying for. My guess is if you've been in this place for a while, you've done something similar to this over the last 10, 20 years. But maybe there's a new neighbor in your neighborhood since you did it last. Maybe you're at a different job than you did last. Maybe you're in a different bowling group than you were last. I encourage you to take this and prayerfully ask God who he's placed around you to bless in this season. I wonder if. It's ever occurred to you that maybe that house that you're currently living in, that you were like, we just have to buy this house because it has the perfect fireplace, and that's what the one thing I was looking for, that maybe God put that fireplace there to put you there. Or maybe even that benefits package when you were trying to decide which job to take, and you thought, ah, this one just is awesome. We got to do this job. This is the perfect benefits package that maybe God put that there to put you there. My friends, God is so passionate about the 58,776 that he puts you there, wherever you're there is. God uses the movement of people for his purposes. I wanna share one last story of movement with you and it's from my friend Ray and he wrote this out for me and it was too good not to share. He says this, like so many veterans, I often wondered why I came home from Vietnam and so many other veterans didn't. 10 years ago, I was talking to a friend about this question and his reply was because God had other plans for me. Somehow this resonated with me and I decided to visit a church to see where it led me. I remember vividly the Sunday morning walking through the doors of Salem Alliance Church with a lot of apprehension. I had only been in a church during funerals and when I was married 50 years ago, never during a worship service. I recognized a young man in passing from Chemeketa Community College. Him and his wife welcomed me and struck up a conversation. They asked me to sit with them during the service. And when the service was over, invited me to their family dinner that night. During dinner and over the next year, they introduced me to their faith and what it meant to be a Christian. Long story short, they bought me a Bible when I started Bible study. They now have two children who call me Grandpa, and they call me Dad. Over the course of the next few years, I gave myself to Christ, pounding a ribbon in the cross and being baptized. I support those less fortunate, strive to be a better husband, and strive to be worthy of being called a Christian. I live by the saying, love people, love God. I am now 77 years old, and my faith has given me purpose in life, all because of that day 10 years ago when a young couple welcomed me in the church and showed me what God's plan was for me. What is God's plan for you, Ray asks. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.